welcome to Required Readcast. Oh, yay. Hey, it's pretty special, isn't it? It is very special. Do you hear the people podcasting? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do hear the people podcasting. It's going to be an epic episode. Oh, epic uh, meaning long and sweeping <laughs> and grand. And only part one of several parts, which we've never really done before. No, because most books we read are of a manageable size. Yes. And this fucking thing is a beast. But I'm Lauren Ballman. I'm Jessica Austin. And as you may have guessed by now, we are discussing... Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. Les Miserables, Les Mis, whatever you want to call it. Yes, and we have been reading the translation by Christine... How do you pronounce it? I would say it's Doniger, but... Doniger. Um, I wouldn't know. There's a lot of translations. I did some of my research with the Hapgood translation... Um, there's so many, you guys, but we're, we are reading the same one and we're excited about this. And what do you think this weighs? Like five pounds? Uh, give or take. I mean, I've been doing some really great tricep exercises with it on the side. Yeah. These are no small, uh, books. So, um, we've been carting them everywhere and our backs are out. I mean, we're not trying to tell you to be impressed with us, but you should be a little impressed. You should be. We're super duper strong. This is actual paper that we're carrying. This yeah. isn't, we don't have a Kindle. Okay. No, you, know? you need to be like Jean Valjean strong to fucking yeah, lift man. this book. He lifts carts and we he, lift books. We, yeah, we're the same. We're really kind of the same. <laughs> um, so we're still doing book one Fontaine today and then we'll do doing a series of minisodes every other week um, to cover the rest of the books. So we'll jump into Fontaine in a sec, but I wanted to take a moment to talk about what we're reading now because I have a retraction to make. Um, last week or last episode, I said I was reading The Color of Magic and I meant to say I'm reading A Darker Shade of Magic. Which oh. I, I know. Oh, different. Very different Very things. different things. This particular book um, is a badass fantasy story about a thief and a guy who can walk through worlds. And The Color of Magic was the first book in the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett, which I've never managed to finish, although I've tried to read that book like four or five times. It's just not super great. The ah. rest of Pratchett, A+. Plus. Color of Magic, meh. Not so much. Not so much. What are you reading? Well, to be honest, not a whole lot other than Lame as a Rob. And I've also been in rehearsals lately for a play I'm working on. So I've got a play in my brain. But I did start Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, um, a few weeks ago. I got I got about 100 pages in, and then I had to put it aside. So I will likely be returning to that, hopefully hey. soon, when I'm not surrounded by depressed French people. Right. But don't you always want to be surrounded by depressed French people? You know, I'm actually enjoying it, so it's all right. It's it's a biggie, but a goodie. Yeah, uh, no, I have to say, I uh, I wanted to read this, but I'm enjoying it a lot more than I anticipated. Um, I was telling Jess before we started recording, I kind of feel reading Victor Hugo the way I feel when I read Charles Dickens. Um and yeah, and I'm finding it, it's really enjoyable, especially since I've been so familiar with the story because of the musical for so long. It's really nice to return to the actual text and it's it's been great. Well, and I think that's one of the benefits of going through and reading it because you get a lot of the plot from the musical and you get a lot of the plot from like the musical version or the movie version of the musical from the previous one starring... Uh, Liam Neeson and oh, the, I Jeffrey Rush. That, that one exists. Yeah, and Claire Danes as a terrible Cosette. Um, that one sucked. But like they got, they just kind of truncated. They're these abridged little movies which are kind of focused on whatever the director's interested in. But 
when you read the Hugo version, you see what Hugo thought was important. And there's so much to take stock of. Yeah. And I know this is something we typically talk about more towards the end of the podcast, but Mm -hmm. I think for this one, we want to address it right up top. Um, since we are required read cast and we tend to do things that are required reading. <laughs> We've had a couple of people ask though, okay, so is Lame as a Rob actually required reading in school? Um, why are you doing this one other than the fact that we know Jessica is in love with it? It's my favorite thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Jessica, could I think you know, you've got a good answer well, for yeah, that. Well, yeah, you know, this is required reading for some AP classes and the abridged version is tech. Uh, tends to be on offer. I came to this because of the musical because I was a little theater kid and I loved it like when I was like 10. Um, and I took it upon myself to read the whole unabridged thing because I was a stubborn little kid and I was like, fuck abridgement. I'm going to read the whole damn book. <laughs> and then whenever I would pick up an abridged copy, they tended to leave the parts out that I thought were interesting. And strangely enough, this was in one of my textbooks, I believe in sixth or seventh grade. It was the chapter about Jean Valjean and the bishop. Oh. So that was part of um, a textbook. It was just like an as excerpt. a redemption story? Mm-hmm. So kind of as a bite-sized intro to this. And I was like, okay, I can see why they're giving that one because that is the crux of this story. That's where everything kind of uh, takes off. But for me, that's not the most interesting part. And I find that the most interesting parts of life tend to be a little more slice of life and going deeper into the characters. And that stuff gets left out of abridgments. So yeah, it is um, it is required, but it tends to, be, or rather it can be required, but it does tend to be the abridged version. And Lauren and I ain't doing no abridged version. Listen, we have our reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the official summary of the whole book, I am going to take a sound bite that I'm positive I stole from Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr. And my synopsis of Flame is a Rob is a man steals a loaf of bread and never hears the end of it. <laughs> um, but I'd say my 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 tweet length summary for Fontaine, book one, is a man gets redeemed, a woman gets ruined, and a police officer gets interested. <laughs> um, I think I will stick with what I would uh, say for the overall summation, which is they don't call it Les Miserables for nothing. Booyah. Because these people, um, as we have said, are very unhappy. They're all just the saddest pandas. Uh, we open, however, on none of our main characters. Mm-hmm. We open on a bishop, and then we continue to talk about him. For, for a very long time. For a very long time. For the entire first part of book one, we are just talking about uh, Bishop Muriel, or he eventually becomes called uh, Monsieur Bienvenue, Monsieur Welcome, which I think is really cool. It's adorable. Um, and basically, it's a, to sum it up quickly, it's a, um, as you wrote, the bishop is great. Yeah, it's like, let's just talk about all of the really nice things this guy has done. <laughs> it's just a laundry list of how simply he lives and how nice he is and how well he treats poor people and how it bothers his sisters that he doesn't ever mm-hmm. take any of his bishop salary. And they're really laying the groundwork for... Um, when a certain man is going to arrive. I wonder who it could um, but they be. Also, they also talk a lot about uh, his silver, his collection of silver, mm-hmm. um, and kind of the ritual they have of, that's, that's it, that is the one prized possession he still allows um, in the home. 
because he likes to eat off of silver and yep. admits that it's his it's his one it's like one luxury yep the one luxury he allows himself well and you know Lauren was saying like this is the most miserable book and maybe the bishop's happy and he seems pretty content and chill but there's still sadness in his backstory because we find out when he was a young man he had a wife and she died um, so he yeah. basically lost his spouse and just devoted himself to religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really book one is a laundry list of great things the bishop has done. Yes. And I also think, too, I, I did like how they wove in some of um, kind of who, who he is, what his beliefs are, and how he came to his beliefs because mm-hmm. I thought it was a little interesting. I'm not super, I'm definitely not super churchy, as we all know. And I feel like there's a lot of talk in this opening section and they get more into it. Um, but just of kind of various people's struggles with religion. I loved his whole, the meeting with uh, G. Mm-hmm. Um, the meeting he has with this man who's at the end of his life and is an atheist and um, was seen as kind of this bad man by the rest of the town. Um, yeah, and he's all set to be executed via guillotine, which is just fucking brutal. Yeah. And um, has this whole discussion with him. Um, yeah. So I think it, it's it's interesting to me. I don't know a whole lot of, and maybe you know more about Victor Hugo's personal um, relation to religion or to God. But I, I feel like they explore it in a way that I find really interesting. Well, the bishop seems to have all of the best intentions intentions, and is walking the walk. Like, he lives simply. I love when he rides his donkey up to visit the mountain, his mountain parishioners. <laughs> yeah. And the mayor gives him shit. The mayor of the town he goes to kind of gives him shit about, like, why are you riding a donkey? And the bishop is like, I know, it's so presumptuous for me to ride on the back of the same animal that Jesus rode, but I had to get up here, so please forgive me my indulgence. And the mayor was like, what? So he's really kind of sassy. Yeah. Yeah, the bishop still has some sass, and we enjoy that. Um, for the record, I um, listened to this partially on tape and partially read it. Book on tape, I mean uh, audiobook. And I was trying to get to sleep the other night when I was out of town. So I was like, I'm going to put on the beginning of Les Mis and listen to the bishop. I fell asleep. I woke up, I don't know how many hours later, and it was still going on about the bishop's good deeds. Oh, boy. So I was like, all right. Yeah, I mean, that. so it, we let's just go ahead and cut right to book two of part one, which is The Fall which I just shortened the title to. Here comes Jean Valjean, Mofos. <laughs> Mine is book two. Finally, it's Jean Valjean. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I love this opening description of him mm-hmm. and how uh, Victor Hugo writes a description of Jean Valjean without saying what his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of gives us a physical. I mean, all of his descriptions of people are so good. Yeah. I love the way he describes uh, physicality and traits of people well I feel like this book written as it was now as it is would not be published today Uh, because he all of these things tend to be like essays on character studies Mm -hmm. or I feel like if he tried to publish this today a publisher would be like yeah all that stuff about the bishop that's backstory can you jump right into the convict getting there right um but here I love this description of Jean Valjean let's see if this is the same one you have and mine is actually copied and pasted from the Isabel Hapgood 
translation, not the Doniger. It was difficult to encounter a wayfarer of more wretched appearance. He was a man of medium stature, thick set and robust in the prime of life. He might have been 46 or 48 years old. We find out later he's 46. A cap with a drooping leather visor partly concealed his face, burned and tanned by sun and wind and dripping with perspiration. His shirt of coarse yellow linen, fastened at the neck by a small silver anchor, permitted a view of his hairy breast. He had a cravat twisted into a string, trousers of blue drilling, worn and threadbare, white on one knee and torn on the other, an old gray tattered blouse, patched on one of the elbows with a bit of green cloth sewed on with twine, a tightly packed soldier knapsack, well buckled and perfectly new on his back, an enormous knotty stick in his hand, iron shod shoes on his stockingless feet, a shaved head and a long beard. Like, this is not a friendly-looking human, mm-hmm. and this is who we encounter on the road. He's in a rough way. Yeah, uh, JVJ is not having the best day. He's just been released from prison, where he was for 19 years in the prison hulks of Toulon, which is a uh, a ship. I don't know if you picked Archer. that up. Archer. Archer doesn't like when people have been in prison. No, people shouldn't be in prison that long, Archer. But, um, yeah, he's imprisoned on a boat, basically. Like, mm-hmm. j- it's floating jail. Yeah, and it sounds like it sucks. It sounds like it sucks. Chain gang is not fun. No. Um, it, and I mean the initial description of uh, even just it's what an awful image of locking the chain around his neck mm-hmm. and hammering the bolt in, and then you live that way for, in his case, twenty years. Yeah, and he um he was sentenced for five years for stealing bread, and then fourteen more for trying to escape, and. He and yeah, kept getting sentenced. You know, he tried to escape how many? Like three two times, or three, two yeah, or three times, and each time got years added onto a sentence. Oh my god! And when when he stole, he had a sister with seven kids, mm-hmm. and they had no no bread at all in the winter. So he basically stuck his hand, broke a window, stuck his hand in, pulled out a loaf of bread, <sighs> ran, dropped it. Yeah, didn't even keep the bread. Didn't even get the bread. And um, he had a gun on him because he was a poacher. And they make a point to say he was like the best shot in the world at this point. You're like, that's going to come in handy in about a thousand pages. Um, But so, yeah, he didn't. The kids didn't get the breads. Five fucking years. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't his parents had died when he was young. So Mm -hmm. he was living with the sister and then her husband died. So he essentially became the man of the house. Um, And she had a shitload of children and it's just so sad and you know they're this is like they're catholic they're not going to mm-hmm. be able to they don't use birth control they don't know what that is so these poor people just are re- reproducing his sister has a husband so she's getting knocked up constantly mm-hmm. um or had a husband and he's got to take care of him and that just sucks and nobody helps and it's such a bummer when they talk about him going to jail and how this was the last he sees of them and we don't really know we don't know what happened to them yeah he um he hears something about her when he's in jail yes once. about one of the and, and she's only with one, one kid. kid it's so so it kind of infers that she probably lost a lot of her children so yeah. that's a drag it's sad like the last thing he does before he goes is he um uh, so we finally hear about the bread story in chapter six. I was a tree pruner at Favarol's, is all he says. Then still sobbing, he raised his right hand and lowered it gradually seven oh. times as though he were touching us in succession seven heads of unequal height. 
And from this gesture, it was divined that the thing which he had done, whatever it was, he had done for the sake of clothing and nourishing seven little children. Uh, Are you even fucking kidding me? No, but go to jail for five years. Yeah, but go to jail for five years, and then we're just going to continue to punish you. Uh, So he's real sad, uh, and he walks into... um, into town and, and yeah he tries to he tries multiple places to um you know he's well he, he tries to get work he's working they're allowing him to work mm-hmm. but then once they see his papers his yellow papers yeah um it, they send him away he uh goes into an inn and is getting close to um being able to get some food and housing but same thing mm-hmm. like then all, this is one thing in this book too Nobody has anything to do except fucking gossip. And it ruins lives. <laughs> because he was perfectly fine in this inn, having a grand time. Everything's great. He has money. He's able to pay. Yep. But somebody had to sneak out, find out who he is, run back to the inn and tell the innkeeper. And then he gets a, he gets kicked out. Yeah. And then he gets kicked out of the next inn. And they were going to be nice to him. And then somebody else fucking gossips. Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. Then the news just starts spreading everywhere. So he can't even get to a place before... Mm-mm. Rumors and then the rumors are starting to grow too, and all of a sudden he's becoming this monster, monster of a person. And You're so like, that's kind of where he's at when he ends up near the bishop's mm-hmm. home. And the last place he tries to sleep is a dog kennel. Yeah. He's like, I just need somewhere warm, and he goes into this little shed, and there's a dog in there, and he's like, back out, and, and the dog like, bites him, and he has to leave. Jesus! So, so even it, the dog won't let him sleep. Even him. the dog's a dick. Um, so he decides to go, and I love this next part, he decides to go um, sleep on a bench in the town square on a mm-hmm. stone bench. And this lady approaches him and she's just like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, you know, I slept uh, on stones for a long time and now I'm going to do it again. And she, I have a quote, the good woman touched the man's arm and pointed out to him on the other side of the street, a small low house, which stood beside the bishop's palace. You have knocked at all the doors? Yes. Have you knocked on that one? No. Knock there. Because she knows what's up. She's like, a good man lives there. And we know as a reader mm-hmm. what's up because we just read uh, many, many pages about how nice the bishop plus was. Plus pages about how nice the bishop was. So he goes to the bishops and, and is treated well. I, lo- I love the opening of this scene, though, too, how the his sisters mm-hmm. who live in the house have, they've heard all the rumors of this terrible man who's roaming town and trying. So they are already a little freaked out about mm-hmm. um, he's going to try to come here. And this is why, you know, we don't have good locks on the doors and we keep telling you we need to put new locks. And um, so it's kind of, it is a, there's a little bit of humor here and there in this book. Yeah. It's kind of a funny scene. His response to them, too, is, let us never fear robbers nor murderers. There are dangers... Oh, excuse me. Let us never fear robbers or murderers. Those are dangers from without, petty dangers. Let us fear ourselves. Prejudices are the real robbers. Vices are the real murderers. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Monsieur Mariel. Like, mm-hmm. anything he comes... Any objection, he always comes, like, back with this charitable, beautiful answer. Yeah. like, boo. So he lets Jean Valjean in, um, says, you know, you're welcome here. But join us for supper. Sets the place. Um, and then they you know, they set the extra places, too. They have mm-hmm. the tradition of setting all six silver settings. Um so once again, we're showing that silver. Showing that silver. I wonder uh, if it's going to be important. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have their meal. And then, you know, the lead, he's. it's the first time Jean Valjean is going to sleep in a real bed for With 19 sheets, years. And he's so excited. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night and 
steals the silver and realizes, oh, hey, you know, these people are sleeping. And I saw where because the, uh, the sister always locks it in a cabinet in the bishop's bedroom, although they don't even lock it because they're such trusting people. So he, uh, after debating for a little while, decides to steal it all. And off he goes. And the next morning, the bishop's out in the garden and the sister's like, have you seen the silver? Have you seen the basket for the silver? And yeah, this is where I wrote down the yes. bishop makes a joke. <laughs> the bishop is funny. I like him. Does your highness know where the silverware basket is? And so she's asking him about that. And then uh, he comes in and she comes back in and finds it. And it's, well, it's empty. What about the silverware? Ah, replied the bishop. So it's the silverware you're worried about. I don't know where that is. <laughs> He's so sassy. And then uh, Jean Valjean gets dragged back and the bishop's like, no, I he's been arrested. Yeah. And they say he's saying that you gave this to him. Um, That's crazy, right? And the bishop's like, no, it's all good. I gave it to him. Oh, and hey, you forgot these candlesticks. Yeah. Here's the best part. So just the best man. Just. Yeah. And he has bought Jean Valjean's soul. Um, Mm -hmm. He tells him, you know. Well, you've got the actual quote, I think. I think I, I don't think I actually wrote it down. Um, I have more, but yeah, he pretty much tells him um, you're going to use the silver to become a good person. And I've bought your soul for God. It's really wonderful. And Jean Valjean heads off down the road and immediately steals from a child. Oh, God, <laughs> this is I did not expect that. Cool. That was unexpected. I love this little kid. Um, Petit Gervais. Petit Gervais. Ricky Gervais. He just likes to walk around town playing music. Okay. Okay. He turned his head and saw a little (laughs) Savoyard, about 10 years of age, coming up the path and singing, his hurdy-gurdy on his hip and his marmot box on his back. So this little kid's fucking wandering around the mountains with his pet marmot, just flipping his coins and singing a happy song. And he's flipping his coins around and he uh, flips his 40 sous coin and it rolls under a bush and John Valjean is standing there and puts his foot over it. And he's, please, monsieur, can I have my coin back? (laughs) He's kind of sassy about it. He's He's like, I know you're standing on my fucking coin. Yeah, please, it's my silver sous or whatever. And he just like starts crying and freaking out. It's a valuable coin. And and Jean Valjean's like, nope, haven't seen it. (laughs) It's under your boot. Nope. Uh, Yeah, and then the kid. It was really surprising that he has this big moment with the bishop. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he does is steal a 40 sous coin from a little child. And instantly feels bad about it mm-hmm. um I, I find this the this sort of the cementing incident in the rest of his life yes because had he just you know been gifted the silver by the bishop and been like i'm gonna be good from now on i don't know if he would have been profoundly changed mm-hmm. it's that he tried to go back to stealing and suddenly his and, conscience hurt mm-hmm. and he was like oh shit i am actually good inside like he had this reinforcement like, kind of like a shock collar and they talk about how it's the he he cries for the first time in 19 years oh it's so sad mm-hmm. and he shouts for the little kid petit Gervais, and the kid doesn't come back and he's trying to find him you can't find him um, um, no but but he, he holds on to that coin which will come into play later yeah. and petit Gervais uh, reported it to somebody because this is going to come back to haunt him oh little oh. buddy um he's real upset he's and rightfully so he Played the hurdy-gurdy hard for that coin. His marmot earned that. Who's, who's going to feed his marmot now? Where's he going to get marmot food? Think of the marmot, marmot Jean Valjean. Marmot food is terribly expensive. Mm. This economy runs on marmot food. Right. It does in that part of France. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's all we hear from our boy JVJ for a while. And yep. 
We're on to book uh, three. Yeah, cut to uh, book three in the year 1817. Or as I call it, four boys from Paris who suck. Oh, man. Okay. This is a part that you don't get in any of the adaptations. Right. But they do feature it in the new BBC version, and they do it really well. Um, And I have... (laughs) Oh, no. What is it? The funniest thing. um... So I have to tell you... (laughs) We were text, Jessica and I were texting back and forth about the book and you wrote to me, you know, like, oh, there's, there's stuff in it that's a little different, you know, from the musical or whatever. And Cosette's Pops is a tool belt. (laughs) And in my mind, I was like, was that like an old (laughs) profession? I was like, what's a tool belt? What do they do? I guess I'll find out. Oh, no, you were just trying to infer that he's a huge douche. He's the king of fucking douches. So in Paris in 1917, there are these four women. Four young Parisians had a great lark. Uh, Grisettes is what they're referred to sometimes. That just means kind of working class. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it says later they're not not middle, but they're not upper. They're kind of in this in-between. Yeah, they're girls who have jobs. Mm -hmm. Like, they all all kind of work at factories or work, and they're kind of like us. Mm -hmm. Um, People who have jobs and are just trying to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're all very young. The women are... From the, the they call the old one the old one, and she's twenty three. So they're like nineteen to twenty three years old. Oh yeah, and, and they one get, of them is Fontaine. One of them is Fontaine, and they get roped into just flings, a two year fling with these four dudes. Yeah, and now they're called mistresses. What is what did the word mistress? It, it seems to me like that was a different connotation than now. Like now, when you hear mistresses, you think of oh, it's somebody somebody has on the side when they're married but these guys weren't married Mm-mm. so they were like their girlfriends yeah i think it just means girlfriends yeah um but i think the same thing is true then if people who were married and had mistresses they were just sort of the girlfriends mm-hmm. um but uh the three other women were young women were pretty realistic about this they had all had love affairs before they know how it ends up mm-hmm. but poor fucking fontaine oh, man. she falls head over heels for this dude felix felix tholomies um, yeah. who is an epic piece of shit. And he's like 30 and kind of gross. Like I was saying earlier, I don't really get, if, if he had been this like strapping handsome man, mm-hmm. it would be a little bit more understandable. But I think she's just very naive and this is the first time she's fallen in love. And her description is nothing but beauty. She's got Ugh. golden hair that constantly tumbles down. She's a perfect smile, teeth like little pearls. Um, and she's just like a great little girlfriend. She loves very him so demure much. Very and innocent, mm-hmm. and you can tell you can tell without them saying it. She's a virgin. Oh she, yeah, she was a virgin. She was a virgin. Yeah. Um, a fun fact: the BBC um, Les Mis version, the guy who played Felix Tholomies is Johnny Flynn, who I saw do Hangmen in London, and who played strangely enough. Viola in the Mark Rylance All Male oh, Twelfth Night. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and he is fantastic in this. Wow. Like he just plays an epic piece of shit. So they delve more into this part then. Oh yeah, they they pay more attention to this subplot than they do with the um the Amis later on. The Barricade mm-hmm. Boys are less less prevalent or prominent, I think. Oh, than okay. Felix and his buddies. Yes. So um, <sighs> so they've been having you know their fun or whatever, and uh, they come up with a plan. The gentlemen tell the ladies that they have a plan for them for a great surprise. Yeah, because the girls are like, we want to surprise. And they're like, okay, we'll get you one. Mm -hmm. So they take them out on this actually like really lovely day. They, you know, it's a summer day and they take them to this wonderful dinner. They they party in the country. Yeah, they go to like a car. It seemed like a carnival type situation beforehand. And then they, yeah, they go to this dinner and um, 
after the dinner, they take the ladies outside and they kiss each of them on the head and say, okay, wait here. We're going to get your surprise. And they're standing out there for like an hour. And then um, a waiter comes out and he hands them a letter. Oh, my God. And it is the absolute worst. The surprise is they got dumped. Yeah. The surprise is the men are like, hey, it's been a fun couple of years, but um, we're going to go. So bye. Ghosted. Uh, for nearly two years, we have made you happy. Do not hold us against. Do not hold it against us. Is the last line. Fuck you. Fuck you. All the fuck yous to these fucking fuck yes. you guys. And um, then the very end of that little portion is, make no bones about it. Uh, Fontaine has had a child by and the, this man. And the thing you don't really get because the book doesn't really clear this up is that. You know, 10 months after Fontaine gets dumped, that's when she runs into the Tenardiers at Montfermeil. But Cosette's about two or three then. Mm-hmm. So Cosette was born while... Fon- in the midst of this. In the midst of this relationship. And fucking Felix leaves her with a baby that he's either met or has seen or knows exists. Right. He men- does not mention it. I forgot this part. Oh, God. Mm. One part that made me super mad during the dinner... Um, he, Felix gets up and gives this big speech and he's wasted and being a turd. And um, at the very end of it, he says, kiss me, Fontaine. And he grabs one of the other women, favorite, and kisses her. So he doesn't even... He doesn't, Fontaine is so in love with him. And he doesn't even know her from her friend yes. if he's drunk. So he's gross. Oh, he's, he's real gross. They're all gross. Fucked hard. Um, real quick... I want to say my favorite chapter title comes in this book. I I, I, asked, I wonder if it's the same one. I think it is. I asked Lauren to if we could pick out favorite chapter titles because the chapter titles in this book all across the board, some of them are amazing. And mine that I picked for this is Tholomyes is so merry that he sings a Spanish ditty. <laughs> That's the chapter that is, title. That is not the one I picked, oh, but yeah. that one is very okay. great. I picked a second one too, yeah. so we'll find out. So our poor girl Fontaine has a child. Yep. Uh, then that brings us right to book four. Yes. Which, what have, do you, did you call it something? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. I just, uh, I wrote down that one of my favorite chapter titles is in book four, which is uh, First Sketch of Two Shady Characters. Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> I call because it, she is uh, leaving town and, oh, you you named it something? I named book four. Oh no, Madame Tenardier. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, Fontaine now has... Um, no future really she has been left by the man she was with and she has a child and that's like basically you're condemned at that point Mm -hmm. if you're a young woman with a child and no husband like you're fucked so she decides to leave town and when she's walking um she decides to go back to her hometown yeah montreal sur mer yes from paris and she um on her way, she meets the Tenardiers, which is probably one of the oh, worst God. things that could have possibly happened to her. Oh, poor Fontaine. Because she basically wanders into a courtyard of an inn and sees this two happy-looking little girls swinging playing, on a chain. Yeah, playing. <laughs> this whole thing, it, it happens in, like, a page. And I have to admit, I'm like, Fontaine, come on now, girl. Use your head just a little bit. Yeah, I see what she's going for because she's she you know she sees these girls playing outside. She thinks they look so happy. The mother, Madame Tenardier, comes out, and they strike up this conversation. And you know, Fontaine's reasoning is that she's not going to be able to go to work with her child, um, mm-hmm. so she needs someone to look after Cosette. So all of a sudden, she's like, "Hey, your house looks nice. Your little girls look happy. Could I leave Cosette here with you and send you some money, and you can take care of her?" 
and they immediately start to bleed her for cash. Oh, yeah. It's just instantaneous. Madame Tenardier is like, all right, well, we need this, this, and this, and blah, blah, blah. Mr. Tenardier heard this going on and pops his head out and is like, oh, uh, and also, can you pay us for six months in advance? And then at the end of that exchange, Fontaine goes off and he's like, thanks, wife, because I was like about to be arrested because I couldn't pay my debt. Now I did. Awesome. Yeah. So they immediately take all of the money that Fontaine just gave them for Cosette and use it to pay off one of his debts. So like already. And oh, and she also has given them all of Fontaine or all of Cosette's um, clothes and any of like the pretty things she had left for her. And they either sell it or they give it to their kids. Like Cosette no longer gets any of these things. It's so bad. It's really sad. Um, The inn, just for the record, the name of the inn is at the sign of the Sergeant of Waterloo. Um, so we find out more about Tenardier later and his um, experience at Waterloo. But that name of that inn is super important. Um, also something to notice is Eponine, the eldest Tenardier daughter, is about two and a half years. Uh, Zelma, the youngest Tenardier daughter, is 18 months. And we think Cosette's about two or three at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they will have another baby <laughs> named Gavroche in the future. So we'll see him come up, but he's Go not born yet. Gavroche. Um, and so, yeah, oh. we find out through the rest of this that basically they just start treating Cosette more and more poorly. They keep demanding more and more money from Fontaine. They find out at some point that um, it was an illegitimate child, which makes them demand even more money from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not going great. Yeah, it's kind of just epic blackmail. And with it, he talks a little bit about how Cosette's treated. The people in the town call her the lark and believe that she was abandoned by her mother and the Tenardiers were generously letting her stay. So it's really ugly. Um, also, it's fun to note that Cosette's real name is Euphrasie, and her, and Cosette is a derivative nickname of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really kind of interesting. One thing I really like about this translation, mm-hmm. there aren't a ton of footnotes, but she includes little footnotes about um, why... One thing I thought was really interesting was the different um, verbiage and pronouns. Mm-hmm. So how, you know the words they use to describe Fontaine change based on how her status changes. Um, And those kinds of things are interesting. So Mm -hmm. I like what she does with those footnotes of kind of giving us a little bit more clues into the text and into the French Mm -hmm. and how things vary between French and English, because my my French is very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, so those are things you don't necessarily pick up on. And she highlights Mm -hmm. those things. Well, I think too, the, um, the, the, the difference between you and thou mm-hmm. is so interesting because we don't have that in English anymore. No. But it's apparent when we study Shakespeare, but it's hard to understand because thou sounds more formal, but thou is actually two in French and is the informal or the, like, the, the kind of lower status. Mm-hmm. And it helps me to understand Shakespeare to think of it in the French. That's kind of product of this book yeah yeah i agree anyway Uh, sidebar anyway oh i think it's also really fun to notice that um speaking of names jean valjean uh they shoot where is this um his mother was named Jean Mathieu. His father was called Jean Valjean or Vlajean, probably a sobriquet, a nickname, and a contraction of voila, Jean. Here's Jean. Like, what a cool... I like that too, yeah. Because you always go, why is his name Jean Valjean? Like, John McJohn. Yeah. Um, be like, oh, that's why. Because it's sort of a nickname that became this dude's last name. John McJohn. John, John McJohn. So or at the end of this um, book, she is, they say that... Uh, Cosette's about six years old now. So a few years, they they play with time a little in that we see like 
some of the time frame of her time at the Thenardiers. And now in the next book, we're back to where Fontaine was at the beginning of that time. The first thing we find out in book five, The Descent, there's a mysterious inventor slash factory owner slash mayor in Montreuil-sur-Mer. Hmm. Who could it be? This man with extraordinary strength who on his first day into town saved children from a fire. Hmm. I don't know who that could possibly be. Who could he possibly be? He's going by Père Madeleine now, but I don't know if that is necessarily his real name. Jean McMadeleine? <laughs> I'm mad Van Madeline. Um, my my favorite in this is because you know we've met we met our boy Jean Valjean, we've met Fantine, and now the other big part of the triumvirate in this section of the story is Javert. Mm-hmm. I wrote, and so it begins. What is that man after all? I certainly have seen him somewhere. In any case, I am not his dupe. This person, grave with a gravity which was almost menacing, was one of those men who, even when only seen by a rapid glimpse, arrest the spectator's attention. Uh Uh-oh. His name was Javert, and he belonged to the police. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. Here we go. Ah, shit. (laughs) Because in the beginning of this book, they give like a little history of... uh, how Jean Valjean has become Madeleine and how he's now, um, how he became mayor, which it took five years to convince him to become mayor. He just invented these great beads. Yes, how much? Beads? Beads? Jean Valjean's not on board. (laughs) (laughs) He Um, wanted to do bees, but the people in Montreal were like, what? Bees? A bees? (laughs) That was, I know the French word for bee joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so they've been saying all of these wonderful things he's done for the town, and then I wrote that. Then Javert shows up, and Javert is not impressed. Like, like, I don't <laughs> believe that shit for a second. You know what Javert doesn't believe? That shit. No, not at all. He is humorless. And then we get to the infamous cart. Oh incident. shit! Monsieur Fauchelevent and the cart. Yes. Thank you for taking that name on because I was not about to pronounce that No worries. That one. I got it. I got um, you. Yeah, because one of the things that Javert has noted was that uh, this man that he had been eyeing for years and years on the chain gang had incredible strength. And uh, so the scene is actually really great in that um, uh, the cart has fallen onto this man. They go to send to get somebody to lift the cart up, but that's going to take time. Everybody's standing around. And now Javert and Jean Valjean have kind of locked eyes with each other. And yeah. it's almost like Javert is daring him to lift the cart up because he knows that there aren't there aren't people with that sort of strength. Mm-hmm. Jean Valjean's like, I will pay people. Who wants to make some money? Lift that cart up. I got money. I will pay people to lift this. Nobody will. Like, the cart is sinking in mud and poor Fauchelevent's like getting My squished. ribs! <laughs> My ribs! Oh no! Um, and so finally Jean Valjean's like, alright, and he does it. Yep. And he, he gets under that cart and he lifts it up himself. And, yep. um... And then, um... Yeah. Yeah, Fauchelevent is healed and he gets... Jean Valjean buys his cart and horse even though the cart is broken and, and the, the horse, horse is, is dead because he's just the best man. he's just a nice guy. And then um, Fauchelevent, Jean Valjean helps him get a job at a convent in Paris and that's super important. Um, meanwhile, Fantine's shown up. Mm-hmm. And, and she has gotten a job at his factory. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really have much interaction with her. He mm-hmm. kind of stays out of the women's working quarters. And she's doing a good job. Like she's not... She's not great at her work, but she shows up. She's got a little apartment. She's doing yeah, okay. She's she making got her payments. Her little furnished apartment, and she there's a, a moment where she's like, "Okay, this is going all right. 
yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, she takes out a little bit of credit, but she's like, I can pay it back. Da, 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 da. And then the town gossips come in to fuck it all up. Madame Victorian Victorian. She's a nosy old bitch. Yeah, she is. And uh, basically, like, has been eyeing Fontaine. Is like, her story doesn't add up. And she's awfully pretty. And, oh, Fontaine has to use, she cannot write. She can't read or write herself, so she has to use, there's a town letter writer. Oh, no. And that's who she has to use to get letters sent to the Tenardiers. And so it's through this, because he's a fucking gossip, too. Mm -hmm. And they plug him full of wine and get him to spill the beans. And he says, oh, yeah, she's got a (sighs) child and cares for her and she lives in another town and she doesn't have a husband and uh yeah yeah so do with that what you will mm, and they do and they do and fucking the thing is she gets fired from the factory they give her what 50 sous 50 francs what they're like here's this money. is from this is from the mayor this is from the mayor you're fired and he didn't fire her mm-hmm. like he didn't it's know anything about it mm-hmm. and she was so sad and so scared and so ashamed and she, yeah that she wouldn't she, she wouldn't go to him because she has moments where she thinks like, for a second I should go con- tell the mayor what happened because he's a good man and he'll help mm-hmm. me and she doesn't and she's too down on herself and then things get so escalate fucking bad quickly before things get way worse yeah. um, I'd love this quote about Fonte. nevertheless when she combed her beautiful hair in the morning with an old broken comb and it flowed about her like floss silk she experienced a moment of happy coquetry and i was like it's like the gift of the magi mm-hmm. but way fucking way, sadder way worse and that story already makes me plenty sad mm-hmm. so i don't think we need to be any sadder but no, we are but we sure are because that is uh, she still has that beautiful golden and hair. those be- that beautiful smile mm-hmm and then she sells it. All of it. She cuts off all her hair. Mm-hmm. And then they pull her two front teeth. Oh, God, that's the... It's just so... Because in Bleh. conjunction with this, because she already... She's now been fired, so she has no job. She has debts because she has the room and she has the furniture. Mm-hmm. Plus the money, of course, she's sending to Cosette. And in the meantime, the Tenardiers make up a lie that Cosette is sick. And they just keep upping the amount that they want from her to the point where it is so extreme that that's why she ends up especially selling her teeth is to pay for medicine for her sick daughter who who's isn't not even sick. sick who's fine who's getting well she's not fine she's getting abused but uh that doesn't get cured by medicine mm-hmm. so poor Fontine is selling everything she can and then she finally sells herself mm-hmm. she joins up uh joins up with the Ugh. ladies of the night and it's so ugly when she resigns herself to that and she says i don't have the exact quote handy but she says something to the effect of you know i've sold everything else no, i may as well do this too oh uh, and it's just the worst it's the worst and um you know i the the bbc version which you haven't seen yet no i haven't seen of course i haven't seen it it's not out yet so how could she possibly see it crazy talk i must be psychic uh had i seen it i could tell you that (laughs) lily collins plays fontaine in this and she is exquisite and the tooth pulling scene had i seen it which i haven't is one of the worst things that i would have seen if i'd seen it Hmm. I'm actually kind of thankful they don't describe the actual pulling oh. in the book, um, but it is really depressing how she's she's sitting in her room and the woman who is her friend, she helps her, comes in to see her, and it said she, it looks like she had aged 10 years since she saw her that morning, and oh. she opens her mouth and her gums are bleeding. And, nope. and they have already given little hints to her having like a hint of a cough, so uh-huh. you can tell she's getting ill, Fuck. but clearly, I mean... 
dentistry wasn't exactly, I highly doubt they use any sort of medication or anesthesia. Mm-mm. So pretty sure that removing her teeth is what pushed her illness over the edge. Well, and uh, I hate to say this. Sorry, Fontaine. I'm sorry, Fontaine, posthumously, and also you're fictional. But she might have had a better time as a prostitute if she still had teeth and hair. Yeah, she maybe should have like made the prostitute decision first. I mean, I can see like you don't want to make that decision. No. You're like, what can I sell instead of myself? Mm-hmm. Teeth and hair. But uh, the shit sandwich she's about to get served is because she looks the way she does yeah, now. Yeah, because now her beauty is completely mm-hmm. gone. Because she was such a beauty and she sold that for her kid. Mm-hmm. And so then there's this really terrible encounter at the end of this section um, with a terrible man who, well, you, his name, you know his name. Yeah, Bamatabois. There we go. Monsieur Bamatabois. And he's just harassing her on the street and being a dick Calling and saying main ugly. things. And then she turns her back on him and he grabs snow from the ground and shoves it down the back of her dress. Because it's winter right now. Yeah. And it's cold and it's snowy and it's bitter and she's poorly clad. And you're already, she's already feeling so degraded anyway. Yeah. Like at the, at the lowest point a person could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And then this fucking guy. You know what I think is interesting is in the musical, he he wants to pick her he up. He wants to pay for her. He wants to pay for her. And then here he just wants to torture yeah. her. Yeah. And here he doesn't even, there's not even, I was actually waiting for that. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for the moment where he would proposition her and he doesn't. Nope, and that almost makes it worse. Yeah, that she's just like a fucking stray cat that he just wants to torture for fun. She's so not even a human. She has had it now at this point. So, so after he puts the snow down her dress, she just completely lashes out at him. She ends up scratching his face. Um, and then a f- and good old Javert shows up um, immediately arrests her they don't believe her cries of saying that um, he initiated it and they take her to jail and her pleading speech to him is the saddest this read if you're not gonna read anything go to this section and read the speeches Fontaine gives when she's in the jail because the way that they're written they they let her have her kind of like badass moment and it's so so sad though she has fallen as far as she can fall and all she has left are her words and exactly. she just unleashes it's that moment of you're seeing a human who is like I have nothing left I may as well just say everything I need to say oh god and um, then uh, Jean Valjean sneaks in or Monsieur mm-hmm. Madeleine sneaks in listens to all this and he's like let her go and Javert's like not gonna oh cause Javert wants to sentence her to six, six months, months in, in jail. jail and she said my, my child will die my child will die cause she still thinks Cosette's sick yeah and he doesn't give two fucks he's nope. like sorry six months <laughs> bye and then Jean Valjean's like, no, you're not going to do that. And Javert's like, you're the mayor. You don't have authority. And then Jean Valjean fucking lawyers up. Yeah. And he's like, actually, according to this, blah, 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 I do. So take her to the hospital. Yep. And she faints. And she and that's faints. that's the end of that book. And book sixth is, is Javert. Javert. So he, um. And he I wanted to say, what's your name again? Manda <laughs> Javert. I just want to. Do not forget my name. They're so lucky that so much rhymes with Javert. And Jean Valjean. Yeah, those were actually decent. Those are good rhymes. Because it could have been real rough French names. <laughs> Do you want to try to rhyme with Bamatobois? No. <laughs> Nothing rhymes with Bamatobois. Um, so Javert sends a letter, and Jean Valjean sends money to the Thenardiers. Fantine basically just confesses everything. She's like, here's my life, help. And he's like, I will help you. And he immediately is, because he's the kindest. Mm-hmm. And um, he even wants to get Cosette from the Thenardiers, but they know that that's like their only leverage to get more money. So they're dicks and they won't send her to them. Yeah, because he like sends like 120 francs and they're like, or no, he she owes 120 francs. Jean Valjean sends 300 and the Thenardiers are like, 
Mm-hmm. Money. Money, eh? So he's like, send me the kid. And they're like, can't do it. So he decides he's going to just go there himself and get her. And as he's going, Javert comes to him and oh, says, shit. I have to tell you something. You, I did something bad and you should fire me. Mm-hmm. I want to, yeah. I was a police spy. And he's I, a man of the police, so this mm-hmm. is a big deal. Yeah, he's like, I accused you. I wrote to the superintendent and said that you were this convict. And of course, Monsieur Madeline's like, what? Wait, what? That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm not a convict. You're crazy. And I feel like he would have let Javert continue to believe this, except, oh, fuck. There's another Jean Valjean. Yes. This dude named Champmathieu. <laughs> so this is my actual favorite chapter title coming up. Okay. Okay. What is it? Uh, the chapter title for uh, in book six, chapter two, is how... J- how John became champ. <laughs> and it's the best play on words ever. It is Jean, Jean, fuck you. How dare you make this little joke right now, Victor Hugo. Oh <laughs> okay, here's the thing about Victor Hugo. The man likes puns, like a oh, lot. Yeah. And you don't really get him into English translations, but brother likes to pun. And it's so funny. Oh, man. Because, yeah, so you find out that this uh, champ... Champ Matthew has been arrested in another town um, be- for robbery, but they believe he is Jean Valjean. They um, believe this other man is Jean Because he's got a tattoo, right? Mm-hmm. And, he's and the it prison looks mark. a lot like him. And um, So Jean Valjean spends this night just being like, what do I do? What do I do? Um, he's, he thinks about like melting this candlesticks. He's like, I'm going to just go. I'm going to let this guy take the fall for me. I then never have to worry about being accused of being Jean Valjean again because the world has one locked up. Mm -hmm. This is great. And he sits in front of his fire all night and he can't do it. Because he's condemning an innocent man. Mm -hmm. But he also feels the guilt of if he turns himself in, then he's leaving behind this town that he's really helping and all of his factory workers will be put out. And and this woman who needs his help immediately. Mm -hmm. So it's a real real quandary he's in. Yeah. And uh, then in the midst of this... He sees that 40 suit coin and he knows what he needs to do. Yep. And that's to do the right thing this time. So he takes, he takes the, the cudgel he had, right? The weapon and the 40 sous and mm-hmm. gives it to the cure of that town mm-hmm. with a note and with money being like, take this. It's important, but also here's a bunch of money. And for this money, uh, is this, I can't remember when this happens. Oh, that was a- that's that's later, after, right? That's oh, wait, later. Sorry. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Me. No, I know um, what you're talking about though. So, yeah, but he he still has that coin and he sees it, and so he decides to head to the town of Aras and mm-hmm. um, go to the trial for this man. Yeah, and he rents a cart, has a lot of in- issues. There's and this somebody- is how Jean becomes a champion. Um, I want to put book seven, chapter two is the title I pulled, but mainly just to fuck with you. The no. perspicacity of Master Scofalaire. It's a hard word to say. I don't think is this the same word? Like, yes. Or is it just so the perspicacity? John Moore, if you're listening to this, perspicacity. I saw that chapter title and I was like, Lauren. No. It will haunt me forever. One thing that Victor Hugo does often in this book, as we'll see coming up, is he will introduce a character who's clearly Jean Valjean in disguise. <laughs> Just clearly Jean Valjean in disguise. And at some point, he'll be like, the reader knows it was Jean Valjean. <laughs> the like, reader has no doubt already defined that Monsieur Madeleine is no other than Jean Valjean. We, we're we in this together, we, right? Yeah. The you reader, got you got me. You got me, reader. It was Jean Valjean. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> 
hey, there's this chick who's really cool. Simper, Sister Simples, the nun. Yes. She's neat. And in the BBC version that I totally didn't see, she's awesome. Oh, good. Because she's a, she's she's a like nun a bigger, a and she's good. Bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So anyway, Sister so class is great. He, he goes to the trial. There's mm-hmm. a whole, it's like he can't get in the building, but then they see who he is. They decide to let him in. And then he screams that he's Jean Valjean. No, uh, not really. That's what they do in the musical. I'm Jean Valjean. Well, what's cool about this is um, Javert gives his testimony and then bounces back home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all these convicts come forward and are like, yeah, that's Jean Valjean. That's Jean Valjean. And this poor Chant Matthew is not Jean Valjean who just picked up a branch with some apples on it and ate a fucking apple and that's about to send him back to jail. Poor guy. He's like, I'm not a man who has who eats every day. Yeah. And hey, Jean Valjean, remember how you had to go to jail for stealing bread? Yes. So he's sitting there absorbing all this and when he stands up to finally say that he's Jean Valjean, he points to all of the convicts who testified against the man and is like, uh-uh, you, I remember you from prison. You have this tattoo. You, I remember you. You did this. And the guys are all like, oh, hey, holy oh, shit. Oh, shit. Maybe that's Jean Valjean. That is Jean Valjean. And it is. What I found interesting, too, and this wasn't a big thing, but Bama Tabois, that motherfucker who put the <sighs> snow down Fontaine, was a juror in that case. <gasps> I missed that. It was like a sentence. And I was like, the fuck? How does he get to make decisions? Oh, he's an asshole. So anyway, um, Jean Valjean, or Monsieur Madeleine Jean Valjean, bolts back home. Yeah, he books it because he's going to kind of tidy up his affairs. Um that's this is where he like gets mm-hmm. all the money together. He's giving all of his money to the poor, um, and he's just gonna, you know, he knows he's gonna have to go to jail. So. Well, and, and they do lock him up. They get him. They lock him up, and he fucking breaks a bar out of the window mm-hmm. and escapes. And he's able to help Fontaine. Yeah. So he gets back. Um, Fontaine is just delirious and ill, and all she wants is her baby. And the sister Simplesse and the doctor keep lying about it. Like, he's on his way to get her. He's on his way to get her. And Fontaine just keeps calling for her kid. And this is the worst because now Jean Valjean is there. Javert shows up. Um, Jean Valjean has to convince Fontaine he's not here for you. He's here Mm -hmm. for me. And in the midst of their conversation, she overhears that Cosette isn't actually in town yet. And Mm -hmm. the shock of this is so strong that that's what makes that's what kills her. Yeah, Javert basically dies. comes barging in, b- being aggressively truthful, and she fucking can't take it anymore and just dies. Dies of shock. Dies of shock. And Jean Valjean's like, hey, you just murdered her. Yeah. And Javert's like, no, I didn't. Yeah. And um, <sighs> that's a that's a very sad moment because I've always thought it was how it is, you know, like in the musical where it, she was really sick and mm-hmm. she died because she coughed her last cough, which is sad enough, but the moment where she actually dies in the book and because of hearing this news about Cassette is really terrible. Yeah, and she's so scared of Javert because mm-hmm. he was so mean to her. And then, <sighs> so Jean Valjean says, okay, I'm going to come with you. Hold on, just can you give me like 10 seconds? Whisper something in her ear. She's uh, dead. Victor Hugo writes that we don't know what he said. We never find out what he said. Mm-mm. Um, But that it appears then that she has like a small smile on her face and he closes her eyes and he makes her body comfortable. And then he says, "Okay, we can go now. Mm -hmm. And what I do like um, a little bit earlier is when Javert comes in and Sister Simplice is praying and hides Jean Valjean. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that scene. Because she she lies twice. She lies twice and she doesn't want to lie because she's a nun. She's like a good person. But she also is smart enough to recognize that Jean Valjean 
is doing something good. Doing good. And Javert, although on the side of the law, is not doing something good Mm -hmm. and kind. And she's like, it's worth telling a lie, telling two lies. (sighs) And so he had left all of his money behind, including giving some to to cover the expenses of burying Fontaine. And he said, send the rest to the poor. Mm-hmm. And she's buried in a, pu- she is buried in a public grave, however. Yep. And I liked this quote. Um, right. We all have a mother, the earth. Fontaine was returned to that mother. So sad. Mm-hmm. And because the man that Jean Valjean gave the money for her burial to didn't bury really her properly. She was or care. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was really, really sad that, that's the end of her. And that's the end of book and one. that's Fontaine. the end of book one. Yeah. Oh, my God. We made it. We, Looks like we made it. We made it through. And it's just the saddest thing in the whole wide world. That's so well written. I really, yeah, I can't say enough about it, mm-hmm. how much I'm enjoying um, Victor Hugo's writing. It's really great. Um, you know, some of the things that feel more like essays, like Wikipedia calls it the digressions, where he just goes off on a tangent for an entire chapter or an entire book, <laughs> are Good. They're, they're, I think if you're reading this and you don't want to read them, they're skippable um, just because it goes really deep into the lot backstory of these people, into the situation in these towns, into what life was like. But if you have the patience, you know what I think is cool is there's 365 chapters in this whole book. Oh, so wow. If, if you wanted to, you could read a chapter a day for a year like, and be kind of studious about it. Did he do that on purpose? Probably. Uh, so... I feel like we know the answer to this question, but who gets the sucks the ass- your asthma award? Ugh, fucking Felix. Fuck that guy. That guy's a turd. He's just I a- keep saying calling people turds because that's a word I reserve for people who are really the worst. The people who are the worst, they're just turds. Yeah, and he, um, he, he ruins her life. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't done the things he did, Fontaine's life would not go the way it goes. He ruined her life in pursuit of his own pleasure with no regard for any other person. Yeah, and even when they mention, they they briefly mention like what became of the men, those four men later, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even anything no, it was special. Like, it's not even like he left because he was pursuing something grand. It was nothing. Nope. Time to move on to a different life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he definitely gets the award. Same yeah. for you? Uh, same for me. Although the runners-up are uh, Bama Tabois, because he's oh. a piece of shit. And Madame Victorine, or whatever her name is, the gossipy fucking Oh, yeah, bitch. she sucks. And, I mean, the Tenardiers are going to be running Asmar Awards throughout the whole book. Let's oh, just yeah. face facts. They're going to get an overall Asmar Award. Yeah, they definitely get the overall Asmar Award for everything. <laughs> so we, we just already assume they're awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if there's characters who are more awful than them, you know they're really bad. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, of course it was, uh, we don't need to talk about in the other media because we've, we're going to be doing that a lot. Um, I always find it interesting that the two adaptations that I'm most interested in film and TV wise, less or so, uh, the Broadway musical, but, um, a lot of people really care about the Fontaine story and it's Mm -hmm. only a fifth of this book. But it was like half of the BBC miniseries. Oh wow! Because they I, and the, and you could tell like Tom Hooper in the musical where Anne Hathaway won the Oscar, a lot of emphasis was placed on the front half, like the Jean Jean Valjean Javert mm-hmm. Fantine beginning of events is given a lot of attention in those. And for me, that's not the most interesting part. No, um, I agree. I um and now <laughs> it's so funny now that I've read this, I'm even more upset that um they didn't give. Anne Hathaway blonde hair for the movie. It's such a it's such a big deal. 
Yeah, and same with Lily Collins in the BBC one. Yeah. She's not blonde. Weird. But they make such a big deal of like Like, this. I normally don't care about that kind of stuff, yeah. but like I, I really think that she should have had mm-hmm. blonde hair. Anyway, sidebar. Um, you know, I don't ever think this was on The Simpsons. Was this on The Simpsons? No, but you know what you need to see is the Animaniacs Les Miserables. I really do. We oh still need to get God. you to watch that. That I... cartoon is tops and Bernadette it's Bernadette Peters singing a lot of it because it was the um it was Rita and Rut the cat and dog um that's right I watched Animaniacs a lot when I was a kid I didn't watch it enough when I was a kid (laughs) clearly yes but I don't think I I didn't find any Simpsons stuff Simpsons Mm. really needs to get we they need to get back in the groove because they've been missing out on our past couple of books yeah a lot of our uh, a lot of classic literature is no Simpsoniness Man, the, what what became more and more clear as you're reading this is the utter class distinction. Oh yeah, of how shittily Fontaine is treated, how shittily Jean Valjean is treated before he has money. Like just, and you look at Javert, who is a, not a moral, he a lawful creature, but he's not a moral creature. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like he puts the law on his side. And it's very black or white. Um, as you're reading this, and as we continue to explore, because I feel like musical Javert <laughs> is a, mo- a little bit more religious. Yes. And book Javert is not. No. And, and and that's still something that overall I'm I'm really fascinated by as we go through this book, just mm-hmm. how it deals with religion. Um, yeah, and how um how things have been changed because the most the, the most famous adaptation of this is the Broadway musical of course almost everybody has seen it that's how uh, I know that's how I know the story mm-hmm. and that's how I got into it and just to see how the characterizations are adjusted for that um because not non-religious Javert to me is very interesting mm-hmm. um and and his past is rather checkered too yeah. you find that he he seems like the type to me who his disdain is because he came from those beginnings himself and he wants mm-hmm. to thoroughly reject that part of his life. And he's like, I overcame this. Why can't you overcome right. this? So, but it's, no one is helpful. Yeah. And I mean, and for women, if you, if you aren't married, you're screwed. I mean, if you, if you don't come from a good background and come from money and you are just a regular old woman who doesn't have mm-hmm. a man in her life, you're pretty much fucked. And especially if you're like Fontaine and end up having a child. Yeah. Yeah, so many people in this are royally fucked. Mm-hmm. Nobody listens. Punishments do not <laughs> no. meet the crime. No. Like, uh, this, the, 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 the chain gang in this and the prison hulks are kind of forced, like legalized slavery. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, five years for stealing a loaf of bread and they get five years hard labor out of you? hard labor. Fuck. Of hard, pointless labor. (laughs) Well, and conditions that are, could cause death. Mm -hmm. Like, people are being treated horribly, are chained by the neck for breaking a shop window and stealing a loaf of bread. Yeah. Uh, it's just so, so you don't sad. you don't get into there there is no why for any of these crimes they don't care they don't mm-hmm. care about if you stole it because you're trying to feed seven children with one loaf of bread they don't care no nope. there's no mercy no and the peasants are treated so poorly uh so yeah so that's a that's we've a, got more we've got more misery coming up next time. Yeah, who's excited? Who's excited <laughs> about that? Um, oh, and to top it all off, to counter Les Miserables, <laughs> what's the next?
next book we're reading. Hey, the next book we're reading, uh, apart from book two of this sucker, or volume two of this sucker, is 1984 by George Orwell. Yes, and uh, go ahead and save the date now, fans, because Mm -hmm. we are going to be doing, Mm -hmm. I think we mentioned this last time, but we're mentioning it again, our very first ever live podcast recording at Benchmark Theater on Monday, March 18th at 7.30. So mark that down. You can come see us in person, and we try to as we try to bring some levity to uh, 1984. Oh God, we, <laughs> I'm glad we started with Matilda and Lion Witch in the Wardrobe because we're just getting more and more depressing. Yeah. By the second. Hey, sorry about that. Hey guys, happy but you spring. know what? That's literature for you. <laughs> it's only worthwhile if it's really fucking sad. Yes. Um, but so those, that's kind of what we're reading right now. If you want to keep caught up with us, um, keep reading Les Miserables and pick up a copy of 1984. Yeah. And when, uh, when the BBC version does hit the uh, American airwaves in April. Because Jessica definitely has not watched it. not watched it. It's not super good. (laughs) You know, Tumblr's hating it right now. Really? Um, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of super fans on the interwebs are really pissed about stuff. And I'm kind of okay with it. Oh, man. April's going to be a good month. April's going to be. And Game of Thrones comes back. Oh, my God. Well, I don't have any disc questions because I kind of can't laugh at anything right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered a lot of it. Our format for this is going to be a little different, and that's okay. It's okay. I'll try to come up with a good disc question uh, when we're deep into Tonardierville, which might be better than uh, <laughs> poor Toothless Prostituteville. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you were going to have two teeth pulled, which two teeth? No, I'm just joking. Right? My back teeth. Like, <laughs> Obviously. Right? But I guess there's probably not as much of a market for molars. Um, <laughs> what did they do with them? I mean, what, what could you replace teeth? With guess, other people's like, teeth? I guess they'd make false teeth. Like dentures had, it was yeah. like wooden oh, dentures. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Gross. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. No. Uh, Old-timey so- dentistry does not need to be. No, you guys, brush your teeth. Don't sell your hair. Um, there's other choices than prostitution in a cold French village. Yeah, and um, stay gold, Cosette. Oh, <laughs> yeah, stay gold, you phrasey. <laughs> Uh, stay gold, Jean Valjean. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay gold, Monsieur Madeleine, who's really Jean Valjean. Stay cold. Stay gold, Petit Gervais. I hope you got your coin back. Stay gold, Petit Gervais's marmot. I hope you got some food. <laughs> and uh, stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms! bookworms.